Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Guys, how are we doing this morning? Good. It's great to have you all here with us today. Um, my prayer for you is that you don't have to work with a Henry, a money killer in your office. But, um, you know, I've been loving these videos. I love the chipper soundtrack and the way they kind of poking fun at what we're talking about each week. And, um, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of our Faith at Works series. We've been journeying through the book of James, and we were meant to do it in like a numerical order, but with lockdown and um, not having church in person, going to Gateway Online and stuff like that, we kind of had to rejig the order that we're doing it in. And so today I was meant to preach this message like four weeks ago or five weeks ago, whenever lockdown started. And so I'm going to take us back to James 2, if that's okay with you guys, in particularly verses 8 and 9 that we saw on the screen just before. And, and the big idea of this morning is that faith at work loves. Yeah? And so if you read along with me, if you've got your Bibles, it should be on the screen. I'm just going to read it one more time. James 2, 8 to 9, it says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Isn't love, it's like a, it's a tricky word, right? Because you can give love, have love, receive love, you can make love even, and all of this makes it feel like a, it's a tangible thing, yeah? Something that you can grasp, but the reality is, is that love isn't, right? It's confusing. It can be difficult to understand sometimes. You know, love can bring great joy, but it can bring great pain or it can be something that we want to talk about all the time. It could be something that we kind of hide down, um, down below. It can bring peace or actually it can sometimes cause stress as well. And, and love is a complicated thing. And I want to share with us this morning my first experience of love outside of that of like my family and where I grew, in, grew up in. And so my first experience of love actually happened in grade eight. Right, grade eight when I was in school was the first year of high school, and so it actually happened on the first day of grade eight. So my first day at a new school, a new high school, and just imagine um, a form room. It's, a, it's the first class of day form room, bunch of grade, oh, bunch of twelve and thirteen year old kids, all excited and nervous, butterflies in their stomach, not sure what the day is going to bring. And my first encounter of love actually kind of happened like it does in the movies, and this is this is full honesty. Happened like it does in the movies, and so we're all in this classroom, nervous, trying to meet new people, see what's going on, and the bell rings, and the, the teacher walks in, and we all kind of, you know, scuffle around to find the nearest desk, and I end up sitting at the back of the room, in the back right-hand side of the room. That's nothing about my character, that's just where I was, okay? So I ended up sitting in the back side of the room, and my name's James Bigelow, and so the teacher comes in, and she starts marking the role, and so I'm right at the beginning, and she marks the rest of the role, goes on to talk about all the boring stuff around you know, how high school's different, you've got to go to your different classes and you'll have different teachers and all the boring stuff, essentially. So she starts going into this. My name's been marked off the roll, so I'm like, done my bit, I've said here, I didn't mess it up. And so I start to look around the room. You know, start to look around the room at all these people that I'm going to be spending the next five years with, just trying to get a gauge of who's cool, what's cool, who do I want to hang out with. And as I'm ga ga uh, gazing around that room, my gaze stops. Right? It stops and just the most beautiful girl that I've ever seen turns around, almost like in the movies with like the hair flicking back and all that sort of stuff. It was like in slow motion. And she turns around and, and she looks at me and I smile at her and she smiles back at me. And in that moment, everything just stopped, right? In that moment, I knew that she was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen. And 
that she was the one for me, right? In that moment, I just, I just knew it. And so like any Casanova, I, 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 I got all of the courage that I could and I, I welded it all up inside me and I write, wrote myself a little note and I gave it to my friend who gave it to her friend who gave it to her. And so she receives this note. Essentially, it just said, hey, I saw you in, in form class and you know, I liked what I saw and do you want to maybe go to the movies or something like that? Do you want to go on a date? And um, so she responded, she wrote her own little letter, gave it to her friend, who gave it to my friend, who gave it to me. It was an awesome process. And um, on the letter, she just said, look, I think I'm kind of interested, but essentially I'm not allowed to date till grade nine. And so I took her at her word. I, I believed that what she was saying, and we went through grade eight. We got really close. We became friends, and we used to chat a lot on, um, on like MSN. Does anyone remember MSN? So we used to chat every evening after school as long as no one else wanted to use the internet or make a phone call. We used to chat a whole lot on that, not that much at school if we're being honest, but we chatted on MSN all the time. And we became really close friends and before, before we knew it, it was grade nine, right? The holidays had finished, it's the first day of grade nine and so I walk up to this girl and I say, hey, how was your holidays? Do you want to go on that date now? And essentially she just said no, <laughs> right? She said no and as it turns out, that whole, I don't want to date till grade, I can't date till grade nine thing was just a ploy to stop me from getting right, stop me from writing weird notes and to stop me from bothering her. And in that moment, I realized that, you know what, love hurts. Love can really hurt sometimes. And so we kind of drifted apart. We formed different friendship circles. And through grade nine and grade 10, we didn't really talk all of that much, and then in grade 11, something weird happens where all the kids start to become friends with everyone, at least in our school, and so our friendship circles kind of morphed again, and we became close again, and we started to chat again, this time still not in real person, but this time on Facebook, because that had come out, so we're chatting on Facebook every night, you know, posting on each other's walls like we used to back in the late 2000s, and we start talking again, we get, we're getting close again, and I just have that, remember that saying in my head, just, you know, third time's the charm? And so, you know what, I'm going to try my luck one last time. And so I, I muster up all my courage and I probably send a Facebook message. I can't remember exactly how this happens. And I just said, hey, do you want to go on a date again? And this time she said yes. And I was surprised and I'm not quite sure why she said yes. She probably just thought, this poor bugger, he's been trying for five years. It might as well at least give him a chance. But she said yes. And actually, this is a photo of us two years later at 18. That's us two years later. And now we've been married for seven years and we've got, when I wrote this, an almost one-year-old, but now we've got a one-year-old as well. And, you know, it's a, she's the a, she's a person I love the most in this world and that's my first experience in love and I'm, I'm really lucky in that. And in all honesty, I actually want to say most of that story was true. I didn't embellish that much. If you want Sophie to corroborate hesitantly, she will. Go and ask her after the service, she will. The only difference is that we kind of describe that first encounter a little bit different, where I say it's the most beautiful girl in the room turning around in slow motion and stuff like that. She says that she was just looking around the room and she saw this weird, gawky kid at the back of the class with a big, goofy, almost a little bit of a creepy smile smiling back at her. So she smiled back just to be friendly. And you know, it's far from a five-star glowing review, but the joke's on her now because she's stuck with me. You know, when I think about love, this is, this is the first thought I think about. That's the first story that comes to mind, but the truth is, is that love is actually biblical, yeah? That the Bible is just actually one big love story about God's love for his people 
and his people responding to and accepting that love. And what I see so often in culture today is a dichotomy between this book that I know is love and a book of judgment or a book of rules that society sometimes sees it to be. And, you know, I get that because it can be a really confusing book. You know, it's actually 66 books in one, written over the course of a few thousand years by more than 40 authors, and it's actually written in three languages, the Old Testament mostly in Hebrew, the New Testament mostly in Greek, a little bit of Aramaic in there as well. And so I understand that it's a complicated book. It's actually more like a library than a book, and so it can be really hard to choose what to focus on. It can be really hard to see that it's a, a book of love. And, you know, the first five books are sometimes called the Pentateuch, sometimes called the books of the law. It's because there's actually no less than 613 rules for the Israelites to follow in those first five books. Now, it feels like a law book, but what is the real purpose of it? What's the real teaching? And it can be sometimes hard to choose what to focus in on with 66 books. And, you know, what's the most important thing? We know the whole book as a whole is important, but what's the most important thing? What's the key message? What is God trying to teach us? And this is the debate that was going on in Jesus' time as well. And there's this really cool story in Matthew 22. It's in a bunch of the other Gospels as well, but I like the way Matthew puts it. And essentially, these Sadducees have come up towards Jesus, and they're trying to trip him up on his theology. So they're, they're throwing a whole bunch of different scenarios at him, saying, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do in this circumstance? What are you going to do in, in this circumstance? And Jesus nails it, right? He gets all the answers right, kind of puts the, the Sadducees to shame. And so the Pharisees gather, and they, they're like, you know what? We want to trip up Jesus too. Let's bring to him this debate. And that's where we pick up the story in, in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, when I think we hear this word love, sometimes we just tend to internalize it a little bit. You know, when we hear that, I'm going to be speaking about it. When we read it in the scripture, there's something inside of us that makes us internalize it. You know, we hear it as, a, as a, this story of, actually, you know what, I haven't been loved right. Or I deserve more love. The people around me haven't loved me as they should. And we tend to feel like it revolves around us, but that's not what the Bible is teaching us here at all. It's not about self-love or an inwards love even, or expecting love from others. These commandments aren't telling us what we're going to receive. They're telling us what we need to give. You know, no healthy relationship ever has been one-sided. You just can't expect that. That's not how relationships are designed to work. It's not how they've been created to operate. Yeah, but sometimes I think that's how we can treat our relationship with God. You know, when you're feeling tired, exhausted, stressed, or, or lonely, or, 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 or anxious, or spent, we have no issues accepting the love from God, and that's a good thing, because His love for you is infinite, right? It's never ending, it's, it's never failing, but it's still a relationship, and so it needs to go both ways. And so the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. I don't know about you, but to me, that feels like a, that's a huge commandment, Right? I'd be impressed if there's anyone here this morning that could say that they love God with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul. It's a big statement. It's not saying, hey, I just want you to love me a lot. It's saying with everything. You know, it reminds me of this, this, this scene in a, in a show called Parks and Recreation. Has anyone ever seen 
Parks and Recreation, not many people. Okay, uh, thanks Jesse and Kim. Essentially, Parks and Recreation is like an office-style sitcom. It's about a Parks and Rec department in the States for a little town, and it's run by this, this guy called Ron Swanson. And um, Ron Swanson's like a real marcher man, right? He doesn't eat vegetables, only meat, likes to go hunting, and he's got a big woodshed, and likes to be alone, his own stuff. He's got like a big Tom Selleck mustache as well. Like, he's a manly, manly man, and there's this scene in Parks and Recreation where he's really hungry, and so he walks into a diner or, or a cafe, and he, and he orders to the waitress, hey, I want all the bacon and eggs that you've got. And the, and the waiter says, that, that's good, and he starts to walk away, and, and Ron stops him, and he says, actually, son... I'm afraid what you heard is that I want a lot of bacon and eggs, but what I said is that I want all the bacon and eggs that you've got. And when I look at this scripture, I reckon that's what it's saying to us as well. Not that we need to love God a lot, but that we need to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. Like, would, never, would nothing ever come before him in our hearts? Would every thought that we have be held captive to Christ with all of our souls, with all of your emotion poured out in a deep passion for God always? That's what the commandment is in if I'm being honest, I know that I don't live up to that all the time, and I'd be really impressed if there are people here that can say that, that they do, because it seems impossible, right? But it's in the Bible, so, so we've got to do it, but it, it seems impossible. All of my thoughts captive to Christ all the time, nothing ever coming before him in my heart. It's a challenging commandment, and we're going to need help to do it. You're going to need God. And Jesus goes on to say in this, he says, the second is like it, love your neighbors as yourself. And if you're like me, you're still on that thought process of, wait, now I've got to love my neighbors as well. You know, I've got to give God all my love with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and love my neighbors as well. I'm not sure I've got enough love in me to be able to facilitate all of that. But there's this other really cool scripture in Romans where Paul's writing to the Romans and he says in 5.5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been put into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? Love originates from God. It flows from God into us through the Holy Spirit. And as it flows through to us, it's supposed to flow back to God in worship and disperse out of us through the Holy Spirit to those around us as well. It's actually God's love at work in us. And so the commandment is love God, love others. Love God with all of your heart. Allow his love to flow through you. Love him wholeheartedly with all your mind and soul and it's your response to love him that helps you to love those around you. That's the greatest commandment. Love God, love others. And what Jesus teaches us is to follow these two commandments and all the rest of them will make sense. Right? Follow these two commandments. Love God, love others. And the other 600 and th 611 rules will all make sense other than that. Right? Just focus on these two rules. And so that's what Jesus teaches us. And so when James is teaching about love, and when he's encouraging the church in Jerusalem to love their neighbors as themselves, he's following his big brother's teaching of that what Jesus was teaching, and he's pointing to those early law books, but then he goes on to say something different, right, in verse 9, and he says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers, right? If you show favoritism, it's a sin. Simply put, if you show favoritism, it's a sin, and you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers, and what does that mean, right? I guess it means that we're supposed to love everyone equally. But who knows that's hard, right? Sometimes there's just people in life that maybe you find hard to love. Maybe there's people that just tend to grind you the wrong way. It's not really Christian, but it's, it's the truth sometimes. But what this commandment is saying is that we need to love everyone equally. 
and I know it kind of sounds really cliche, but once again, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure how to do that. So I think it's important for us to look to the one who loved equally, to look at the one who loved without discrimination. You know, as I look at Jesus' love and his love for those around him and his love for you and me, really simply there's three things that stand out about his love and they all start with S because what good preacher doesn't use alliteration and I actually got to thank Jan Main because she helped me with this as well because I was struggling to find a word. But what Jesus' love shows is that love is selfless, love is sacrificial and love isn't selective. So firstly, love is selfless. Jesus' love was selfless, and that's the love that he calls us into, right? That's the sort of love that he calls us to love our neighbor with. You know, I said it earlier, but I think sometimes we tend to internalize this, this concept of love, and, and, and when we know that the scripture is love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes the pattern in our head is, you know what, my neighbor actually hasn't been loving me as well as they should. I haven't been loved well, I deserve more love, or they've stopped loving me, or they've betrayed me, or they've abandoned me, they've sinned against me, they've hurt me, they've failed me, and before you know it, our entire understanding of love is shaped around how we've been disappointed in the past, and the ways that people have let, me, uh, let us down. But what God is showing to us through this law, and, and what Jesus um, demonstrated on his time on earth, is this, this concept of others, right? This, this concept of neighbor, love your neighbor. Love those around you, those that live in proximity with you. We are not the only people who need to feel love. There's actually others, the people that you live with, the people that you live in proximity with. You know, personally, I find this quite convicting because if I'm being honest, the first thing that happens every morning when I wake up after making a coffee and having that is I just think through what are all the things that I've got to accomplish this day. What's everything that I've got to get done? And then my whole day is generally focused around just making sure that I've ticked off the things that are on my to-do list. And then at the end of the day, I go to sleep, anxious, thinking about what I've got to do for the next day. And, And this law from God is reminding us that there's other people out there too. There's other people, your neighbor, those around you. And Jesus's life pointed to those around him. And the law says to love your neighbor as yourself. And I reckon sometimes... In society, we highlight this thing called self-love, and I think it's good, but sometimes I think we do it a little bit too much, and I reckon the Bible actually just sometimes takes it for granted that we're going to know how to love ourselves, that we're going to know how to care for ourselves. And you know, as I look around this room and and I look at myself, I know that there's at least some level of self-care, because you've all come fully dressed, and I'm fully dressed, and we're all grateful for all of that, but there's some level of self-care, and so I think the Bible recognizes that, right? Have you ever sport yourself in the last little while? Have you ever had a late night naughty snack that you shouldn't be having? Have you ever bought something new? Have you ever, you know, just gone and had done something just for fun by yourself? Have you ever just spent time in your own thoughts gathering your mind? I think the Bible just understands that we're going to take care of ourselves. And so it gets really practical. And so it says, right, you know how to love yourself. What I want you to do is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I think, as I look around this room here, I don't don't think there's anyone that's come here hungry this morning because you fed yourself. And so what this scripture is saying is, you've fed yourself, so what does it look like to feed someone else? You've clothed yourself. What does it look like to clothe someone else? Or, or, Or you've prayed for yourself. What does it look like to pray for someone else? You've helped yourself. What does it look like to help someone else? And that's what I love about this is that it's really practical that's what I love about the book of James is that he picks up on these messages from Jesus, but he reminds us how to put them into action each day. Jesus' love was selfless. 
right? He fed the 5,000. He didn't just take that for himself. It was selfless. He performed miracles for others. He prayed for others. He died on that cross for others. His love was selfless, and Jesus demonstrated what it meant to love your neighbor and through his selfless love, and that's what he calls us to do as well, to love selflessly. But, you know, it's not hard to see in Jesus' love that although it was selfless, it was also sacrificial, right? Because love is sacrificial, and Jesus' love was selfless, right? He loved your neighbor as you love yourself, but then he took it one step further, and he made it sacrificial. You know, we see that when his love was poured out on the cross for everyone who comes and believes in the Father. And I'm not saying that for sacrificial love, you have to lay your life down for those around you, because the reality is, is that, you know, uh, um, life isn't found through your death and resurrection. Salvation isn't found in your death and resurrection. It's just not. But what I'm trying to say is that maybe sometimes love is painful, right? Maybe sometimes it hurts a little bit to love. Because it's a sacrifice, right? That's what a sacrifice is. It, it costs something. It requires an effort on our behalf. And so the next step to selfless love is to love selflessly even when it doesn't feel like you've got it in you. To love selflessly even though sometimes it feels like you can't. You know, maybe your internal monologue this morning is, yeah, that's good, James. I'm going to love selflessly as soon as I get myself sorted. That's good. I encourage you to get yourself sorted out. But sometimes I think that thought pattern can be a little bit of a trap. It can be a little bit of a crutch that actually just stops us from stepping in to sacrificial love, that stops us from loving selflessly when it hurts. You know, really practically, it's easy to feed those around you when you've got plenty of food. But what does it look like to love others selflessly when you don't have much? And that's a, that's a tricky example, because I'm not saying to go and starve yourself, but what does it look like to love someone or to care for someone when you're tired, right? when you feel like you don't have the energy in you for that day? What does it look like to, to listen to someone or, or to help someone out when it feels like you don't have enough time, when you're already busy enough with everything that you've going on? Now, that's sacrificial love. It's always going to feel like we've got so much going on that we don't have enough energy, but that shouldn't stop us from loving selflessly. Instead, Jesus demonstrates a sacrificial love. And to love someone though it's hard, and, and to love someone though it hurts or takes a toll, Jesus loves sacrificially, and that's what he calls us to do as well. Now, he calls us to love selflessly, but not just when it's convenient for us. He calls us to love selflessly when sometimes it hurts. And that's sacrificial love. And, and it's awesome to love like Jesus and selflessly and, and sacrificially. But what James is reminding us of this in the scriptures is that there's actually something that gets in the way of that. There's something that gets in the way of that. It says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Favoritism, right? It gets in the way of us loving selflessly and, and sacrificially. And other translations say partiality. But essentially, it just means that love doesn't discriminate. It loves equally. And, and that's what Jesus demonstrated for us on that cross. He died for all, for everyone, leaving it up to those of us to believe in him. Love isn't selective. Now, love doesn't discriminate between the, the sinners and the saints. And that's a Hamilton reference for some musical lovers out there. But the honest truth is that it doesn't. Right? That's the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. It wasn't selective. Jesus' love welcomes everyone in. And I reckon sometimes today we can see love as like just this sort of tolerance. Right? If you love me, don't ask me to change. If you love me, don't ask me to do anything for you. If you love me, then just let me be me. And the honest truth is actually sometimes I see this 
in Jesus' love? Right? Jesus' love was tolerance because he says, come as you are, whatever your past looks like, whoever you are, whatever sins you've committed, come, you're all welcome. Right? Through Jesus, all are welcome to God. Whatever race, religion, sexuality, income level, whatever activity you take part of, Jesus actually welcomes us all to God. He welcomes us all with his love. But the thing that Jesus does is that he transforms our love. He transforms love. What am I saying? Jesus' love moves from tolerance to transformation. Right? He moves from tolerance to transformation. You can't fully receive the love of Jesus and not be transformed to live more like him. God loves us so much that he doesn't just tolerate us, he transforms us. Have you ever noticed that with the people that you hang out with? Maybe it's your close friends or your family or, or your parents, but the people that we surround ourselves with, sometimes we become more like them, right? You begin to have a shared vocabulary. You begin to respond to things in the same way, and it's almost natural, right? It's like human nature that we just become like the ones that we love. We become like the people we love because our love compels us to imitate them, to be more like them. And, and what I don't see in Jesus' love is selectiveness. And so if we're transformed to love like Jesus, we're not going to be loving selectively. He didn't discriminate. Jesus' love wasn't based on race, gender, age, or class. He just loved, and not just me, not just you, but everyone. Everyone equally. Jesus' love was selfless, it was sacrificial, but also it wasn't selective. He didn't limit who his love was for. And As I kind of come to the end of what I guess I want to speak to us today, we're going to move into a time of response in just a, in just a moment. But there's this scripture that, that Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians, and I reckon we've all heard it a bunch. Right? It's, you probably, to be honest, you probably heard it at a wedding, because it's been read at every single wedding that I've been to. I think it was read at our wedding as well, but I just want to read it over us, because it's a really great explanation of what love isn't. As I read over it, I want you just to reflect on these words, but I don't want you to internalize it. I don't want you to read this and, and hear, that's not how people have loved me. I want you to, to listen to this and hear, actually, that's maybe how God's challenging me to love those around me. So it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God, why don't you join me as I pray? Yes, God, we want to thank you for the way that, that you first loved us. We, we thank you that your love for us is all of those things, that it is patient, that is kind, it's not proud or, or dishonoring or, or self-seeking. Instead, it's selfless, it's sacrificial, and, and it's not selective. God, would you help us not just to, to hear those words in our minds this morning, but, but would you let them grip our hearts and, and change the way that we love? And as we remember and, and respond to your great love for us, would you help us to love those around us selflessly and sacrificially? Together we said, Amen. Amen. Now, I was watching this other TV show recently, and it actually just had a quote around intimacy, and I want to read it to us today, and it just says this, intimacy is all about leaving yourself open to being attacked. You know, there's something vulnerable about showing love to others. You know, you're opening yourself up. 
You're offering a piece of your heart to someone. I think that's probably why it hurts so much when it feels like our love has been betrayed or because it gets us in a, in a vulnerable space, right? It hits and it, and it hits really hard. And, and when love isn't reciprocated, it hurts. You've left yourself all out in the open. And, and I find so often that it's really hard to forgive those things and continue to love yourself, to love selflessly, sacrificially, and without selection yourself. Yeah, but then I look at all of those things that I've done to hurt God. I look at the round of the world and I see all the things that the world has done that would hurt God. And when I see God's response to that, He actually just extends a hand of mercy. He extends a, a hand of love to each and every one of us. And I think this is possibly quite a tough challenge for us today, but I actually think it's a little bit hypocritical for us to sometimes receive that hand of mercy, but extend a hand of judgment to those around us. I think it's a little bit hypocritical and God's love isn't selective towards us, so why should our love be selective towards those around us? Right? Why should our love discriminate or show favoritism when God's love doesn't? And when we're guilty, we want mercy, but sometimes when others are guilty, something inside of us just wants justice. You know, I'm reminded of this, this, this parable in, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Right, it's the farmer who, who casts the seed out onto the, onto the path and the birds come and eat it up and he casts seed out onto the rocky ground where the roots can't grow deep and they, they form but then the sun burns the crop and he throws it out um, among the weeds and sows the seed amongst the weeds and the weeds strangle the crop but then he sows it in the good soil as well Yeah, and the crops grow and they get all big and it's awesome. I think in the same way that's also how God shares his love with each of us. It's extended to each of us to accept, and maybe it won't be accepted by all, right? Maybe it won't be accepted by everyone, but that doesn't mean it's not accessible and that God isn't sharing it anyway. You know, the farmer sows that seed on the pathway, even though he knows it's not going to grow on that pathway. He still shares it with the pathway. In the same way God shares his love with everyone, I think that's what he calls us to do as well. And in a moment, we're just going to sing a song called Reckless Love. And whether you agree with the, the lyrics in this song or not, what I want you to focus on, what I want you to remember is the way that God has poured out His love for all. It's poured out for all of His people, both those who are going to accept it and, and those who turn away. And in that same way, He calls us to love those around us, not selectively, not showing favoritism, but with a heart of selflessness and sacrifice. And so why don't we stand to our feet this morning as we sing this song I actually just want to offer an invitation for us maybe a couple of invitations for us you know, maybe this morning you've been challenged by what I've been saying right now maybe you've been challenged by the way that you accept God's mercy but you struggle to extend that to those around you maybe you're, you're still facing that hurt you, maybe you're struggling to get past that hurt or that pain or the things that someone has done to wrong you and I reckon God's just wanting to release you from that this morning I reckon he's wanting to remind you of his great love for you remind you of his love for you that works through you as well and so as we sing this song I want you just to feel free to come to the front we're going to have a prayer team that would love to pray with you they'd love to pray a blessing of God's love over you and through you Sometimes it's so hard to move past that hurt, and I believe that God's not wanting us to leave here today carrying that. So this is your moment. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray that blessing of God's love over you. And 
Now also, if you just want to receive eyes like Jesus to, to, to not love selectively, I think that's really, it's a struggle for me. I think that's a struggle for a lot of us, not to love selectively, but to love equally, to not discriminate. And so if you want to be given eyes like Jesus this morning, just to see those around you that you need to love, maybe be convicted. I want to encourage you to come to the front as well, because we'd love to pray for you as well and pray a blessing over you. But we're going to sing this song. If you'd like prayer, why don't you come to the front? We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and our locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.